Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Well, 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 you all doubted me. It took probably about a year and a half for this prediction to come true, but Liam Scales has basically won the league for Celtic. He stepped up, he got the ball, looked up, saw the keeper off his line and went for it. And he sent a worldie into the far top corner for Aberdeen to give them the 1-0 lead against Rangers. Went on to be a 2-0 lead against Rangers and put Celtic within one win of the SVFL title. Back-to-back trophies it's going to be for Celtic if they do win. And it's going to be against Hearts. The split fixtures are out this week and it will be at Hearts in Edinburgh that Celtic will be looking to secure back-to-back league titles under Ange Postacoglu. Welcome along to the Huddle Breakdown. Alan Morrison and Jugo James are with me as always. James, it was never a doubt. He was always destined to do this. Liam Scales has done it. He's pulled it out. Yeah, I, I, I was actually watching that game, and um, I thought of you as, immediately as soon as that happened. So Everybody you, did. You're, you're Everybody in my did. mind. I got, I got tagged in multiple tweets. After that goal, it just, <laughs> the propaganda has worked. It has worked its way into the, the mainstream audience. Well, just, just to put a controversy onto it, um, Y Scout did classify it as a shot, but uh, StatsBomb did not. Oh, come on. Uh, it was definitely a shot. So apparently StatsBomb, which as you know, is the higher quality of the two, um, are calling Scales and you a liar. <sighs> that's, that's incredibly harsh. That, of, course it's, <laughs> of course it was a shot. Like, who is he crossing the ball to? Um, no. Well, it's Liam Scales, probably a guy in the third row. No. I'm not having that. They never, they never, yeah, I mean, that's just, I mean, all poetry and and artistry has gone out of the game, if if that's the case. I mean, did they never see Georgie Hadji at the 1994 World Cup in the US for Romania do exactly the same thing? (laughs) <laughs> against Colombia I think it was yeah. <laughs> Roberto Carlos you know these are the these are the names that you're putting Liam Scales up with and he's he's definitely <laughs> delivering on that aspect Alan it was nice to see you last week some people in the comments commenting about our uh, performance on the overlap we actually made it onto the episode which is nice it, it was nice not to be cut out yes. and uh, even a couple <laughs> of the things that we thought were going to be cut out were involved in it so um, yeah, yes, good stuff. A few things we wish had been cut. They're also involved, also kept in. Fortunately, but there you go. 
So if people haven't seen it, myself and Alan were invited on to the Celtic and Rangers special on the Overlap. It's Gary Neville's channel on YouTube. I'll link it in the description below. It's a debate around Celtic and Rangers with Chris Sutton and Alan McCoy, along with the guys from uh, 20 Minute Tim's, Paul from Celtic Fans TV, and uh, Quinny was there from Saltara here as well. So uh, it was really fun, Alan. I really enjoyed it. Like it, it was something different, but it definitely did help being actually in a room where you could have a conversation about this. And it, it look, it things. I didn't know what to expect. I didn't think it was. I didn't know if it was going to be tense. I didn't know if there was going to be some very dodgy shit said. No, thankfully, nothing was said that was over the line. But yeah, it was it was nice to have a proper debate in an open atmosphere like that. You know, was, everyone was very well behaved. In fact, I think you know they were encouraging people, in fact, to to get to get more involved. And, and you know, they did actually use quite a bit of uh, the material. I mean, I was I was really gutted. I mean, I have to say, all all the other. Celtic lads that turned up, they were all young, slim, handsome, well-groomed. I felt like a right old, fat old grandfather there. But there you go. Apart <laughs> so, from that, it was uh, apart from that aspect, it was it was all it was all good. I didn't realise yeah. actually, watching it back, um, how how kind of quite cutting a lot of Celtic fans' comments were. They just had to sort of the other lads there just had to sit there and take it, didn't they? It was quite good. <laughs> It's yes. always. I, fun I think. I think. It, I think if they were. I don't know. Maybe I'm. I'm obviously biased, but I think if they scored the debate, I think it, it would have been stopped after about half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> loads of nice comments about your shirt. Don't be putting yourself down on your appearance. I've. I've, oh, I've seen right. loads of people say you were looking yeah. smashing. So, you know, don't be. I didn't get my. I didn't get my haircut. I mean, that was the other thing. We we only got a very short notice as well to, uh, to attend. But no, it was. Listen, it was good fun. I have to say. Um, yeah, Ali McCoist was, you know, he came across very genuine. He spent time with us all. He spoke to us all, uh, you know, um, as well. You know, he was he was very good. Spent time with us after the after the show and so forth. So they were they were both excellent. As was Kelly, the host, and, and all all the all the people that were producing it. It was actually in retrospect pretty efficient. I think it took two hours to film a one hour show. So it was actually pretty pretty good. In that sense, I mean, not that I've got any experience with these things, but it seemed pretty well, kind of well done from, from my, in retrospect, uh, in my, from my perspective. So yeah, listen, please give it a watch. It's, 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 I think it's quite good. Don't be put off by the, the kind of old firm tag to it. It was actually a decent debate. And I think the fans in the room all got a decent amount of, uh, you know, airspace as well. So it was good. Yeah, James, you're a, have you watched it yet? You're, you're, you, you, you can give yeah, a, a I, neutral, well, not neutral, but you... <laughs> no, I saw. I, I thought it was. You're allowed. You found this opinion. No, I got about halfway through it uh, yesterday evening when I got to it, um, and then life interceded, so I'm going to revisit and finish it today. But yeah, from what I saw, it was. I agree with you. It was uh, both Sutton and McCoy's, which probably isn't that surprising. Were uh, in in good form and good nature, so uh, I, I kept it relatively light with some good ribbing in there. So I was enjoying it up to the point I saw. Mm. the link will be in the description below i'll put, put post the i posted the link already on our social channel so if you want to get it it's on youtube on the overlap channel or it's linked on our twitter channel as well let's get into some actual action we'll talk about the draw at the weekend with motherwell in just a sec but the split fixtures have been revealed as of just a couple of hours ago and it will be hearts that celtic take on after the split 
um, after the cup game. So on Saturday, thir- 13th of May, Celtic will be playing, or no, sorry, Saturday, Sunday, the 7th of May, Celtic will be playing Hearts. And then the final game against Rangers is the following again, Saturday, the 13th of May. So it will be Hearts that Celtic will be looking to win the title against after the results at the weekend. So, um, Alan, you know, Hearts always seems like a trickier fixture than it might actually be or has been in the past. Um, again, they're a team that are going to want to stop Celtic from winning the title at their stadium. I don't know how much of a difference you think that makes, though. No, I mean, listen, it's, it's a bit, you know, I think a lot of people are reading a lot of things into it. You know, you don't you don't know who's going to finish in the top six and therefore there's always the, the possibility of getting an imbalance of home and away and who's played who, um, you know, more times at home, etc. It can sometimes not work out, which I don't think is is great, to be honest with you. Um, I mean, I, I would personally prefer probably a slightly bigger um, Premier Division. I think there's enough teams of a similar size in Scotland, you know, the likes of, uh, you know, teams that aren't in there at the moment, like Dundee or that Partick Thistle. I mean, I know Dunfermline and Falkirk are in the the, the league below, league below that, but even even they're of, of a size that are you know would 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 if if given enough years to build would be um, you know competitive and 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 a reasonably big clubs certainly by by Scottish standards. So to have a slightly bigger league, I think, and then have a split maybe at halfway or, or what have you. And therefore, there's no sort of debate about, about fixtures. There's no sort of distrust um about you know the motives for having certain games it's you know first second or whatever uh, and just it just it's, i mean it just it's just typical of scottish football really that they, they put themselves in this situation where you know they can be accused of being unfair or what have you about the fixtures you know when, when there's no need for it i mean you know other teams other leagues do have these splits and, and, and probably managed to manage it a little bit better than, than scotland does i think it's a, in general the split's been a good thing i mean the attendances in Scotland at the weekend, the last game before the split, were incredible in terms of, you know, I think it was over six and a half, seven thousand at St Mirren. There was a good attendance. Um, you know, Aberdeen obviously got a good attendance. Hearts, good attendance, etc. Across the board, you know, it, it was it was I think, um, you know, there was a, a, something like just over just under two percent of the population of Scotland attended football matches. It was incredible across all, all the matches in the country. So, um, you know, that's something that I think people a lot of people forget. It's just what how powerful the league is, um, how important football is to, to Scottish people. That's why it, as I keep saying before it needs to be served by a better <laughs> a better set of governors, really. Mm. So, James, what I'm gonna presume is your thoughts is that Celtic should not throw the game against Hearts next week in order to win the title against Rangers the following weekend. Yeah, not a big fan of that idea. Um, <laughs> They're on record to be the best team in Celtic in Scottish League yeah. history. Why would why on earth would they throw it for such pettiness? And also yeah, why would they throw it in general? <laughs> no yeah. professional player is going to do that. Yeah, I think that speaks to the uh relative prioritization for some people. <laughs> um uh, but yeah, I, I think, um, you know, we'll see Nate Smith could change some things up. Like we, we, we the running joke with, um, hearts under Nielsen was, um, how, you know, naively predictable they'd been against Celtic. And 
We don't. We just don't know. I mean, obviously, it's an unknown coming in with with Naismith. They do have some attacking talent that can hurt you, and that playing at Tyne Castle, you know, is uh, more of a chaos uh, ingredient that can um, because of the, the 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 dimensions of the pitch being smaller, and um, you know, if they go more direct and and uh, long ball that kind of thing. So, you know, it, it could be a less comfortable situation. And as we'll get on to with uh, the Motherwell game, you know, with us being down a couple of guys, we're still not sure who's going to be back in time for this weekend, maybe even for hearts. Um, you know, we're probably not at our peak right now <laughs> uh, uh, as far as, you know, recent form. So um, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't, right off hearts at home um you know again obviously it should be uh, a relatively comfortable game but within the span mm. of the spectrum of distribution I'd, I'd probably have more anxiety going into playing a tide castle in these circumstances than than normal so um it, i i would go for saint Merritt at home that would have been my preference mm. <laughs> well i mean you you want to wrap up the title as soon as possible you, exactly like, that's that's the bottom line of these things is that there is absolutely no point going into these games thinking further down the line other than winning the title because it takes all the pressure off the squad. I guarantee you you'll see some rotation after the fact and you'll get to get you'll get to give players who might not usually get the opportunity to play many games an opportunity then for the rest of the season. That's kind of where I like the split and where I think it comes in handy is that Generally, the title, not always, but generally the title has been in the last decade sewn up by the time the split comes around. And then in the final six fixtures, you see younger players and players that are fring- on the fringes get some opportunity, which they don't usually get during the season. So, yeah, I think it's it's all guns blazing for the Hearts game and then relax for the rest of the season because you've already already won the title. And. Um, in terms of the game at the weekend then, so Celtic didn't really get themselves into this position um, based upon their form last week. They, they've done it over the course of the season, but the draw against Motherwell, 1-1 at home, Cal McGregor with the only goal for Celtic, and then uh, Kevin Van Veen with a, a goal on the 55th minute to give Motherwell the draw. It came because Liam Scales gave Aberdeen the win uh, over Rangers, but... A lot of disappointment after this game. A lot of annoyances after this game. Rightly so. You know, it was a disappointing performance. At home is probably the key point, is that it was a sunny day at Celtic Park. And it was probably a lackluster performance. But, Alan, like, is this was this a tired performance? Is that what it was from Celtic? Was it the fact that they were rotating? Was it the fact that, you know, some players weren't fully fit? Cameron Carter-Vickers came into this game, which I thought was a little bit surprising. Is that what you put it down to, or was it something tactical that just didn't work for Celtic? Yeah, sure. So listen, it's never, it's very rarely, it's rarely one one thing. Okay, so uh, I think there's a few things came together. Um, I think from in terms of Celtic and their own performance is concerned, um, what we saw work quite well in the previous game, whereby. McGregor and Iwata, and I'll start with the midfield because I think we're, we've talked about it a lot on this program. I think it's something that we feel is probably not optimally kind of um, optimally kind of set in terms of the squad at the moment. So the midfield, you know, McGregor and Iwata done quite a nice job of kind of rotating and 
really either although it was you could make a case for saying it was a kind of four two three one it as always as I keep saying it's really just a sort of how they line up at a kickoff it's really where do the players go to find the spaces what the problem I think Celtic had on on the weekend was um, was really uh, two compounding issues one is the lack of width <laughs> that was the first thing so the the fullbacks especially really didn't give Celtic that much overlapping width um, and the wingers you know Maeda's kind of out to win run is a kind of trademark and he he had two good chances in the first half one header at the back post uh, which was saved and then a, a, a ball on the stretch from an excellent Haksabanovic through ball that he he just put wide so he did get some joy from those out to in on runs but uh, uh, into out uh, out to in runs even but he um he did really get on the ball that much other than that and with Haksabanovic in a, in a day where Celtic were oddly almost totally right side dominant, which is not something we see from Celtic very often. Normally, we're very left side dominant. Um, Haksabanovic got plenty of the ball, but he really just kept cutting in and running into traffic and losing it without really creating a lot. Um, So what that also meant was that the the midfield got pretty crowded. So they set up with three at the back. It was really a five, a five-three-two. We've seen this shape from teams many, many times before. They looked to to sort of, you know, to um, make the the middle as crowded as possible. And we kind of played into that because the fullback sort of inverted. If you look at the heat maps, McGregor, it looks like McGregor and Iwata are eventually standing on each other's heads. Now, obviously they weren't, but it just meant they were kind of constantly rotating and, and occupying very much the same space. And although I thought McGregor actually was probably the bright spot for Celtic on the day, Iwata struggled a bit to get forward and, and didn't really get past uh, Kyogo at any point in the game. Um, and and so, so, so I think that there was that. I think there was also the case of sometimes you just have one of those days. I mean, the chances didn't go in, right? So it was one of those days where Celtic tried to get the ball across the box a lot low, and yet all the, all the chances that we created, nearly all the chances Celtic created from crosses were ended up being headers, and uh, you know that's never a, never a very sure way to um, to score, um, and, and obviously we didn't finish them. Um, you know, Matt O'Reilly had a particularly interesting day. Um, he, 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 I know a lot of people were frustrated by his performance, but he created five chances. He, um, you know, he won the ball back uh, uh, more than anyone else um, as well. He, you know, he, he had um, a lot of pack passes in there. He got into the box more than anybody else. It just, just nothing came off for him. It was as simple as that. He, he couldn't fault him for trying to force things, trying to to make things happen. Um, but you know he was having an off day, or things weren't going his way. And you know, whereas we've got other risk takers like Hatate, Jota, Abada, who are all missing, we can't make. I you know, don't want to make those ex- excuses, but we, we didn't have any other kind of risk takers, if you like, for whom perhaps one of those things might have might have come off. So I think that there was that, that there was that. I mean, I, I, I don't want to be churlish. To Motherwell because you know well done to them for getting a point at Celtic Park the only team to do this do it this season I thought they defended manfully I thought they kept their shape and discipline in terms of uh, you know the, and, and and their fitness unlike other teams it didn't really drop as the game went on so fair play to them for that I don't think they did anything extraordinary uh, they didn't do anything that was like oh wow that's that's you know interesting why haven't other teams tried that they were actually 
they were actually rubbish on the ball, Motherwell, apart from they twice got the ball to Van Veen. His goal was was fantastic. I mean, you know, it was a very unexpected burst of pace to drive Taylor back into the box. And it was a great finish. And he, and he had another run shortly after that. And really a bit of individualism got them that goal. And they didn't really create anything else much of, of any note throughout the game, or, or nor did they put Celtic under any sort of pressure. So sometimes the risks as well around how Celtic play just come to fruition, right? And this is one of those days where all the things I've talked about came came together really to, you know, the, like the goal that Celtic conceded, it was off a corner, off a Celtic corner. Matt O'Reilly loses the ball on the edge of Motherwell's box and suddenly um, there's only three players between Slattery and the goal. He picks out a great pass actually to, to Van Veen because he curls it away from Taylor into oh. Van Veen's path. And and as as happens with Celtic, you know, it's a one v one at the back. Now ninety plus percent this season that situation has arisen. A it doesn't happen very often and B when it does the either the attacker lacks the quality to make something of it or Celtic's you know defenders are good enough to to snuff it out. But on this occasion mm. Van Bean was good enough to, to do something uh with it. So, you know, I wouldn't be concerned in the sense of there's no sort of I think you know, there was a great Appointment because, like you say, it's getting to the end of the season. We kind of got this view that oh, Postecoglou will really get them firing because it's it's a big game and it's 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 getting to the business end of the season. Um, and it was just a surprise. We've been so consistent and that we maybe didn't expect to have a slightly off performance. But as I say, it was it was one of those days. I think a little bit of credit to Motherwell, a lot of credit to Van Veen, and. You know, but not. I think. I think if I was to say what would be the thing they'd be looking for, it would be just that attacking spacing. The the way that the players attacked the space in the final third, I don't think was really smart, and and that might have been just a the the, the players in midfield, especially not having played together that much. Yeah, uh, James, looking through the data from this game, and I'm working off FatMob, so there might be slight changes to likes the staff stats bomb or whatever so on the base level Celtic had 78 percent possession to Motherwell's 22 had almost five times as many accurate passes 16 shots five big chances xg 2.04 to 0.8 to Motherwell and then you look at the the momentum sort of graphic that they do throughout the game and it's pretty just pretty much all green except for the five minutes after Motherwell equalized from Van Veen after the 55th minute. I mean, again, the game's not all down to stats, but if you look at the overall game as a whole in the aftermath of it, taking the emotion out of it, it does seem like this is sort of just an outlier of a game where things didn't go correct at the final point for Celtic. Yeah, I'd say on the margin, the the thing that stood out, again, if you just benchmark performance... um, our XG from open play was definitely well below uh, kind of norms, particularly playing at home uh, and even more so for a team in the bottom half. So, you know, as far as a measurable goes, and that's everything that Alan talked about, I agree with. And um, that, that metric kind of reflected that. Um, I think what, it, what the game also speaks to is, you know, I mean, Motherwell, as Alan said, were organized, relatively disciplined, they fielded a team of relatively young and in shape dudes, <laughs> right? So they had, I think, a 19 year old at one wing back and like a 20 year old at the other one. Um, 
And, you know, for SPFL, Motherwell level, their midfield's big and kind of, you know, in shape, right? I mean, that's always been the Motherwell, even though Ro- uh, Robinson was there. It wasn't going to be because of lack of effort or guys not being in shape. Um, so when you mix up, put those things together and you have a guy like Van Veen, which again, for a Motherwell level team, he is inordinately skilled, right? So the vast majority of these kind of teams that we only concede one or two, you know, even theoretical chances, vast majority of the time, the opposition players are not skillful enough, even if they're fast enough. Um, and Van Veen's one of these guys who he's not all that fast, but he was going up against a guy who's not that fast, uh, who had really bad technique <laughs> on this instance uh, in Taylor. And he just, you know, uh, whooped his ass one-on-one. <laughs> um, and that can happen because he's a really skillful guy. And, mm. and um, so, and it, you know, his, his production for a team of Motherwell's, you know, resources is really, really good in the league. So, um, I, I, so if, in summary is, you know, all these, the script I always talk about, you know, that St. Mirren script and, you know, they don't, Motherwell did not try to play a way that, you know, exposes their weaknesses, right? So they were dreadful on the ball, which is typically what they are. And therefore they weren't trying to ticky tack it from out of the back very much, right? They just got it up the field. And if Van Veen got on it, that was good. If not, they just got right back into shape. And they're hoping to get a draw, maybe a goal, and we have a bad day finishing. And that that really is the calculation for most of these teams, if I think, in, in my judgment, um, that's most reasonable. Um, and that's how they played, and they got their just rewards because they kept it close, and we had an off day. And as Alan said, um, you know, we kind of had a creativity deficit in, in, in the side. So, you know um, – I, I think when you mix it all together, it's just that's I, I, we we are a spoiled bunch of a holes too. How th- how great things have been! So this is kind of a classic late season uh, performance in a league that's kind of um, already you know done. Mm. Can I bring up my left footer um, conspiracy theory again? Of course, it's, it's been it's been a while. So I, I don't think a right-footed player gets turned inside out as much as Greg Taylor does. I often find that left-footers, because they're so much more comfortable on their left side, that they get thrown off balance a little bit more when they get turned inside out. I have no, again, no evidence to back that up at all. It's just my gut feeling, but I, I reckon... I've never, I write, I've never seen Liam Scales get turned out, inside out like that, and he's left-footed, yeah. so that's, your theory just falls over. Well, funny enough, I have. Funny enough, I have. So, um, but we'll we'll pretend that never happened. Yeah, that that's just the classic, um, you know, across sports. I mean, you you just don't turn your back on someone coming at you. Um, So somebody in somebody in the comments makes the point that he should never have been one on one with Greg Taylor anyway. Why is Greg Taylor the last man? Well, that goes down. That goes Allen's point. I think it was off a, a corner kick. So there was, you know. He's usually yeah, pip, yeah. The, the last person back and they made a nice out ball and, you know, so I, I it, to me, it was more so uh, e- even if he would have ended up getting beaten, but he, he whooped them like that's that's mm. a, you know, to use our, our my old basketball saying that's like you, you tell a guy to go pick up his jock strap right? Because you just juked him out of his, <laughs> out of his skivvies. Um, 
So that's basically what Van Veen did to him. He, you know, embarrassed him. Um, and that oftentimes when that happens, it's because of very poor technique. And, and I think mm. that's what Taylor did there. I mean, you just, you don't turn your back on somebody that, that never works out well. And again, a guy like Van Veen, Taylor does that nine out of 10 times against the vast majority of players in the league. He's probably okay. Uh, Cause the guy's going to balloon the shot <laughs> or trip over the ball or, you know, one of many outcomes. And, you know, Van Veen's a dangerous enough guy that he made him look really bad. Hmm. That might be the most American thing that you've said on the show. I Pick think. up your jock. Yeah. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah it's right up there number one uh, along with the other references that i generally don't understand um but alan but, you, but said, you, got, you guys don't protect your balls in ireland when you're playing sports what do you wear you don't wear a cup at all you don't you never never wear a jock strap no jesus it's not a thing over here yeah um well, you, don't have, moving, you, don't have, you don't have testicles over there what's going on <laughs> moving moving swiftly on from men's genitalia Alan, you said that um, you said that Matt O'Reilly had an interesting performance. Do you want to elaborate on that? Yeah, just in terms of you know, it was one of these classics watching the game. I think I even read some comments that people were getting frustrated at him, and one of the WhatsApp groups, people was someone was going, "Oh, you know, I'm not sure I love him anymore," and all this sort of thing. And I was like, "Yeah, you know, it did seem quite frustrating for him. He did. I mean, he, it was extraordinary the amount of times he gave the ball away, actually." In the in the final third, without really um, producing anything, I think if, if I can just very, you just bear with me. Sorry, this is a bit uh, a bit real time, but you know because it was an extraordinary number actually. Uh, final third losses, so it was uh, you know six for O'Reilly in the first half and seven for Haksabanovic, and then the second half it was uh, nine for O'Reilly. Uh, you know, so you know that's fifteen times in the second half he kind of lost the ball without creating anything or winning a corner or getting a shot off, right? That's a pretty high number, right? to be honest. That is a, a really high number. So, you know, it wasn't a good day. But on the other hand, like I say, he also easily had the most um, chance. You know, he created five chances for, for others uh, in the game as well. He, he won the ball back high quite a few times, especially in the first half in that sort of way, which I know for a fact that people don't always notice. He just seems to get a foot in and suddenly Celtic have got the ball back and uh, it's not like a big blood and snorters tackle, as we'd call it over here. It's, uh, you know, it's just a subtle foot in and he and, he, and he's very effective at that. Um, you know, he, he wasn't, he didn't, I don't think he got any many shots away. In fact, uh, none, didn't take any shots at all. So that probably, um, you know, uh, counted against him. But, you know, my, but he, as I say, he just he just he just got the ball a lot in the final third. He really was almost carrying the team in terms of that final third threat because Maida didn't create much. He got on the end of a couple of things. Aksabanovic, you know, I have to be honest, he's started two games in a row now on the right wing, and I don't think he's done himself any favours in terms of what he's produced for the team. So they weren't, we weren't getting a lot out of him, and obviously Kyogo. You only he's only going to come to life when you get the ball to him, and with Iwata and McGregor sort of playing, you know, not deep but sort of playing a more reserved role, it really was left to Matt O'Reilly to kind of be that creative player, and he had to take it all on his shoulders. And, and he had an off day; it didn't a lot of things didn't come off for him, but you know he didn't hide and he kept going. I was actually watching it back; it was the only slight misstep I think from 
from Buster Coglu is taking O'Reilly off. I didn't think he should have taken him off. I know that he brought Vata on and Vata had a couple of nice moments and was quite actually was actually pretty direct on the right wing and, and did the boy boy did well for himself there. But I I wouldn't have taken uh, I wouldn't have taken O'Reilly off because he was the only one that was really trying consistently to to change the game. Hmm. Yeah. Well, there's and, a comment when, in from. I, I was just going to say, and Kyogo kind of dropped into that role, and he didn't do much. He didn't fare much better <laughs> when he was on the ball, in uh, you know trying to create create anything. So, mm. I, I was just going to go to a comment here from Hit the Top, who said that no Jota, no Hatate, O'Reilly is carrying a lot for the team in terms of playmaking. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. In terms, and that is true, if you look at Celtics midfield, or include the wingers as well, the most creative players are Jota, Hitate, O'Reilly, Haxabanovich when he's on the left, potentially, but outside of that, Maeda is not a playmaker. Kyogo's not a playmaker. McGregor's certainly not a playmaker. And um, from what we've seen, Awata isn't that creative either. So we've got two to three very creative players and two of them are out injured at the minute. So it's all on O'Reilly. If nothing comes through him, then Celtic might not create all that much unless it comes from the likes of Aaron Moy, who is also out injured. Um, so a lot of key players missing is probably the best sort of context you could have for why Celtic didn't create many of like really good chances and they, they did create a few chances and had a few half chances from outside the box as well um but outside of that like is that a worry for this weekend let's say or do we think that some of those players who were rested for this game were rested on the idea that they will be playing this weekend i yeah for me it's a worry um i mean i think it has to be uh just because of depth issues and um you know for for all their various foibles um they are a, a significant step up in in quality uh as far as opposition goes so um 
Yeah, I mean, it, it's we we need to get that uh, chance creation from somewhere. Now, the the positive side is that oftentimes against them, we're going to have more space. You know, so a guy like O'Reilly, you know, is probably going to have um, a, a better opportunity to pick out some of those passes where. Again, to their credit, Motherwell kept things very compact. Um, so I suspect, you know, Rangers are, are less likely to be that rigid in in defending. Um, so it's a little easier to catch them out, that kind of thing. But yeah, it, it's it's a worry. Uh, it, it'll be interesting, I think. Um, again, to see kind of how he how Ange ends up going. I mean, that, to Alan's point, it's kind of become more of a hybrid four two three one four three three rather than more of a pure four three three. Uh, again, within the context of, of movement. Um, so we'll see if that continues to be, you know, kind of w- the direction we go with uh, Awada being uh, um, the 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 appeared preferred choice along with McGregor. But again, that might be because Moy's still getting back up to speed. We'll, we'll just have to see. But I'm not sure a Moy-O'Reilly midfields. <laughs> um, not sure that's a, again, in a 4-3-3. Uh, of them being a two attacking eights, I, <clears throat> I, I'm not sure that that's the prescription either. So it's going to be interesting. What do you think, Alan? Because there was debate around Cameron Carter-Vickers after it's been revealed he's been playing through injury for what would appear for a long period of time. Worries that he's going to miss the semifinal this weekend. Is this testing the waters or is this a he's ready to play and ready to go and we're definitely going to throw him in for Carter Vickers as well as sort of the rest of them, like Hatate. Do you think, are any of them going to make it for the semifinal? Yeah, I, do, I don't know. And we, it's very difficult to tell from the, you know, from Postacoglu. He keeps, he keeps very tight on that one. I mean, on the yeah. Carter Vickers, so I, I had been told by two separate people about Carter Vickers' knee. Now, it's not the sort of thing because it's to do with the player's health, you know, or A, I wouldn't betray that confidence and B, um, you know, it's, I don't think it's the sort of appropriate thing to necessarily let let slip, but it was something I was aware of and worried about because I don't like the idea of players playing on with, you know, in, knee injuries that need surgery potentially. So um, having said that, um, he, 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 was, he was playing to me, like some, it was, you couldn't tell. You couldn't tell that he had any problem the way he was playing, really. But he, you know, obviously, he was he was he was not risked for that Kilmarnock game on that pitch. Um, and on the weekend, I thought he was a little bit, just a little bit sluggish. He, you know, he was he was noticeably not as involved in the game as Starfelt was, even in just simple ball recycling. And even though Celtic were very heavily dominant down that right side, which is his station, it wasn't coming through him. Uh, in terms of you know getting getting the attack started, so definitely a concern. Um, you know that's going to be interesting. Both teams are going to have um, decisions to make on that front because uh, on on their side, Conor Goldson's been out with a hip flexor issue, and that's you know Mickey 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 told us that in one of his many long winded uh, expositions that he loves to give that he he let 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 it blurt out that it was a hip flexor injury, which is I don't you know. I don't know if any of you ever had a hip flexor injury, but it's not not a nice injury. And mm-hmm. um, if they're going to rush Goldson back uh, for the game uh, on on that injury, that's that's a real risk. Um, mm-hmm. As I think it would be if, if there's any doubt at all about Carter Vickers, and you know, I'm, I'm, it's not a risk I would necessarily advocate. But I suspect the way it's going, he looks like he's going to play. 
Um, then, then the question for, for Celtic is, what do you do about especially the, mid, the midfield and, and really right wing? Because, I, you know, in two games, Haksibanovic is not impressed in that position. It's only, only fair to be honest about that. Um, and, and I, I, you know, I suspect that looking at it for me, Hitati has been out now for, I'm just, again, just apologies if someone's got this, this to their fingertips, but I mean, he's been out since the beginning of April. So nearly a month it will be that Hitati's been out. Now that's quite a long time to suddenly be thrown back into a big game. So, and again, if there's any doubt about him, I wouldn't want to see him thrown back into a game like that. Jota's not been missing as long. So if, if Jota's good to go, I would that would probably solve a lot of problems, to be honest. Um, and I think then we would probably be comfortable with most most you know configurations in central midfield. If Jota was back, um, if Jota is missing, then you know the question is you know what do we do about that that right wing slot? Do you persist with Haksibanovic but try and get him to play hold his width a bit more? Do you gamble on Vata? That doesn't feel like a Postacoglu call, but you know you, you never know. Um, do you go with Moy and uh, O'Reilly because it just gives you that little bit of extra creativity in the middle? Um, I mean, Iwata's has really done nothing wrong since he's come in. He's just a very different sort of player. So I think there's a lot to think about there. Um, and it's something I'm going to uh, think about over the next couple of days and probably write up on it at some point. But uh, yeah, I think there's quite a few conundrums there for Celtic to think about. Yeah, I think Jota is probably the biggest miss out of all of that if he does miss this game. Because as well as much as Hitati is that creative spark in the midfield, Jota has... You know, he is the link between the midfield and the forward nine, especially if, if it's Maeda and Kyogo playing there. Because Maeda is a get in behind the defense kind of player, and Kyogo is a poacher, whereas Jota needs, is the only one that you kind of trust in that to get on the ball as much as he does. Um, so if he's missing, I think it could be a huge loss for Celtic and what they can do going forward, whether they have Moy back. I mean, I'm not going to comment on Moy's performance because last time I did, I said that he was the most confident in the midfield to take the ball and control it and not give it away. And he must have given it away about 10 times in the first five minutes. So I'm not going to comment on... No more Moy jinxing from you, Andy. No, I'm just I'm going to keep my predictions to myself these days. But yeah, no, generally, look, it's not ideal to be missing this many players going into a derby match, James. But I'm going off the basis of... The Ibrox game that we drew, where we had a couple of players out from a virus, the game, the previous derby that Celtic played badly in, and we're still missing these players, certain players, um, and still came out with a win. I still fancy Celtic to at least send it to extra time if they're not at their best. That's I, I still don't think there's enough in the Rangers team to beat Celtic flat out. Yeah, I, I think... Um... You know the the thing we've keep I've kept coming back to this season is that we've got the uh, at least from a consistency perspective, you know you can always say the one off game, but um, they still have a black hole playing between the sticks for them <laughs> um, this season. And McGregor, he's he's been amongst the worst keepers. I just wrote a piece on this for this week, um, looking at our needs heading into Champions League next year. Um, and, and Al McGregor's been one of the worst keepers in world football this year. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, I think we've that's a huge positive for us. Um, 
But yeah, I was just thinking as Alan was talking about Carter Vickers, and again, this is me purely speculating, but again, being relatively old and been a sports junkie all my life across a bunch of sports, that sounds like a, a, a meniscus tear to me. Meaning that, so, you know, if they're, if they're talking about surgery, but they're letting a guy play, it's his knee. Normally that's not a partial ligament tear or anything like major structural. If it was, if it was ligaments, he wouldn't be playing. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So usually, usually that's something dealing with um, cartilage and a partial tear. And really that's all about managing swelling and pain. So um, until they do the surgery and then you've got the, you know, eight weeks kind of or 12 weeks kind of recovery timeline, as long as it's not a major one. But um, so, yeah, I mean, a guy, a guy playing with a bum cartilage would not be great. I mean, that's, um, that's the kind of thing that can kind of, you just turn a little bit off and it sends that shock wave of pain through you <laughs> um, and t- tells you not to do move that way. Uh, so yeah, that's concerning. And um, given the, the, the depth issues, um you know, you put a guy on who's going to try and gut it out, and then for whatever reason you got to take him off. All of a sudden, you're down a sub, um, and we're relatively thin compared to where we have been. Um, so, do you have to carry an extra center back or an extra defender because of that? You know, there's all these compounding questions that get, particularly with it being a, a a semifinal and potentially going to extra time, that kind of thing. So, yeah, it's I, it'll be really interesting, I think, to see how. Um, you know, Ange addresses these questions because it, there are material ones here. And it's it's almost impossible to have a good sense of risk or reward until we know who is actually available. Um, again, Hatate being out this long sounds like, you know, what do they say, like grade two or grade one strain. I think it was his hamstring. So that's yeah. that, that's more of a significant thing. Um, and I, I don't think you just come back into this kind of game recovering from that kind of uh, injury it then tends to be something you have to ramp up into so yeah it's it's uh i i probably the only thing i can say it might be somewhat constructive is i if, if we're if we're left with haxabanovich and maeda i'd almost rather see him flipped i mean i, I just mm-hmm. i don't see the relative strength of playing them the way that they have been uh, meaning that if you're if you're in a deficit for creativity, Haxabanovich seems to be more comfortable doing that coming in from the left onto his strong foot. Uh, Maeda is not terribly going to do you know he's not going to do much of that regardless. <laughs> um, so that that's probably the only observation I have as far as what seems like it might be the uh, the, the options available. Mm. Well, yeah, Haxabanovich players are injured. Signature. Sorry, and I was sorry. sorry I, I was just going to say, I think the players in general, the players that are injured have just been out for too long to suddenly throw them in. The only one, uh, Jot has been out for a couple of weeks. If he's if he's good to go, that's probably quite low risk throwing him back in again. But the likes of Forrest, Abada, Hatate, um, they've been out for too long now. You can't. I don't think you can just unless they've been training hard for a couple of weeks. I don't know that you could just throw them in on a week's training. I think that would be really probably quite unwise so i think we're gonna to have to you know make some compromises here mm. so i guess you're, you're gonna agree with my starting 11 then which would be uh benjamin segrist anthony ralston starfelt kobayashi burnaby at left back midfield james mccarthy give him a chance with awata and rokovata as the the number 10 and then up front go with kyogo on the left oh through the middle and James Forrest on the right. So 
that's that's my starting eleven prediction. I think that that'll do it. Will it? Is it, is it the Celtic Dar? Is that the Celtic Dar prediction? You're the youngest one here, uh, and uh, <laughs> you should be coming up with a Dar <laughs> lineup. No, no joke, no joke. I I had to look up whether James McCarthy still played for Celtic. I couldn't remember if he had left in January on the fly or not. I like it. He's just gone, isn't he? He's just, he's just non-existent. Um, what a signing he's turning out to be. Uh, who could have predicted that one? Um, right, well, I guess, all joking aside, as a centre-back partnership, if we're talking about Cameron Carter-Vickers, six, let's say 70% fit without you know, going into it too much. Do you trust, from what we've seen, Starfeld on the right and Kobayashi as the partnership um, in the derby match? It's I'm, tough. I'm happier with. Yeah, Sorry, oh, James. I, I was going to say I'm happier with uh, with Starfoot on the right. <laughs> Definitely. Um, you know, I wouldn't be happy about Carter Vickers being missing. Because I think, arguably, Carter Vickers for for us and Connor Goldson for them are the two most important players in either team um, in terms of defensive solidity. Um, because the other options are not great. And I don't mean Kobayashi particularly, because you know it's still very early for him, and actually he's done a pretty good job. He seems confident. He likes to get on the ball. He likes to ping the ball firmly through into midfield. Um, you know, and he seems to be you know pretty decent defensively as well. But it's it's clearly a risk just throwing him into into this game. And then anyway, if, if Carter Vickers is to have an operation as as speculated, then you wouldn't bring him back for the for the Motherwell game and then suddenly decide to put him in for an operation. You'd have done it you know, two weeks ago. So. I think we can we can talk about it if you want, but barring an injury in in training, Carter Vickers is going to start, and Starfelt's going to be on the left. I don't think there's much you know to debate around that one, to be honest with you. But I do you know I do think Starfelt looked happier on the right, and I'm not not surprising really given his, his style of play. Did yeah, you I, were going to come in there, were you? yeah. I was just going to say. I mean, I, I I'm I'm not, um, you know. Sports are, are, are the legendary stories of sports of, of guys playing hurt and coming up with big performances. I mean, they're very romantic and, you know, um, but you know, there's also plenty of times when guys try it and it turns out to be a mess. Um, so, yeah, I, I just hope whatever they decide to do that he's up to it. And, um, you know, because, again, the, the, the margin for error here is a lot smaller um, just given the sheer, you know, speed and athleticism of, of the opposition. Um, so, you know, despite, like I say, their foibles, uh, Ryan Kent or Sakala running at you at full speed, if you've got a bum knee, <laughs> is a different proposition than, um, you know, descending on Motherwell and, and, and not really having too much to deal with. Um so yeah, it's it's again it just adds to the litany of questions that we have going into this, um, which again kind of makes me a little uh, nervous as a result. Mm-hmm. Anything you guys want to touch on, be that from the Motherwell game or the game coming up this weekend before we call it a quits on the, this week's show? No, I think I think equally um, for the Rangers, it's it's similar actually very similar issues that they've got around their selection of, you know, Goldson managing that hip flexor. I mean, we've seen in recent weeks that, um, I mean, as I've said, I said for the last derby that for me, Davis is the weak link in that defence anyway. 
And then, you know, Suter is obviously, we know, we know Suter, he's a, he's a good, solid lad, but he's, he doesn't lift the quality. Really. He's not a game changer in that sense. Um, and he has got a mistake in him as well. So as a pair, you know, there's definitely um, some vulnerability there. And then in midfield, I mean, they seem inordinately pleased with themselves that they've got Raskin and Cantwell. I mean, Kat Raskin looks like a, a nice footballer. He's he's tidy. He's good on the ball. He's got good feet. Technically good. He's, he's got a little bit of pace about him and a little bit of um, strength about him as well. But he also has. I've seen him also quite overpowered in games and teams just running, running over the top of him as well. And you know, he's a young kid, right? And he's going to take a bit of time to get used to the peculiarities of Scottish football. And Cantwell is. I mean, if you watched him against Aberdeen. And we've all played with players like this too. When things go badly, he just decides to play his own game. I mean, I have no idea what he was doing. He was going all over the pitch. Now, maybe he had orders to do that, but he was nominally the number 10. And he just looks like a player that will just do what the hell he wants. And, and he's just not a team player. And that's pretty consistent with the fact that, you know, Norwich were Norwich were very keen to, to get rid, really. Um, you know, and that's kind of where they are in, in many respects. I mean, they've got, They've signed a couple of players recently. You know, Raskin, Cantwell, and then last last year, um, you know, Lundstrom, who were all not good in the dressing room, if you like, not were deemed, you know, really troublemakers either by their manager or their teammates. And when you're shopping in distressed markets, these are the choices that you end up having to make. Um, so, you know, their configuration for midfield is interesting, but also their approach is, you know, in the in the in the three two game. Sorry, in the cup final game, they tried to be very um, solid and physical and tried to turn the game into a bit of an arm wrestle. And what and all Celtic did was just run past them, and they weren't tracking the runners. And you know, it was, it was a pretty comfortable afternoon for Celtic. In the uh, in the in the three-two game, they they pressed really, really high up the pitch, and that that was quite successful. But equally, Celtic were able to press them very high up the pitch and win the back as the ball back as well, which we often got forgotten. And then when they did get the ball, there wasn't really a lot happening with it unless there was a, a free kick situation or a corner situation. So what do they do this time? You know, do they go with the more ball playing players like Raskin and Cantwell and and Tillman and try and press Celtic high and hope to to, to win something high up? Um, but then probably you're losing a lot of solidity. And defensive capability in midfield, or do they, you know, do they try and make it again more of an arm wrestle with the likes of Lundstrom, Jack, players like that? So I don't know. I don't know which way they'll go. We don't know which way Mickey will go. I mean, he's he's changed his approach in games against Celtic, so uh, we don't know what we're going to get. I think we know what we're going to get. Well, we don't, and we don't know what we're going to get from Celtic. So there's a lot more uncertainty in this game, I think, given the the injury situations and the tactical choices than I think there would be would be normally. So yeah, lots of intrigue. Ditto. <laughs> I was waiting for your your input there. As a... well, that was that was the New York Times uh, Wordle word two days ago as well. Ditto. Are you still doing Wordle over there? Ah, uh, my wife doesn't, oh. so it's one of those things. It's what what yeah, it's, well, cheap, it's cheaper way, break, than therapy um, or divorce lawyer. <laughs> break, breaking news: uh, Stuart Robertson's left across the city, so he's their CEO. In case you're. Okay. Now, okay. The significance I know this is the significance of that is that how can I put this delicately? He, he was actually 
a reasonably competent individual who wasn't there because of his staunch credentials. Let's put it that way. So he's <laughs> actually there to do a professional job. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's, and, and, you know, effectively, once again, the mob have hounded out, they managed to hound out Wilson. I think Wilson got sick of being hung out to dry by the club as well. You know, the, the, the banners and so forth. Robertson and, and both, and, you know, let's be honest about it. Both Robertson and Wilson were targeted because, because, they they are not staunch broke wearers. They are guys that were there to do do a job. Now that you can, we can argue the merits of did they do a great job. I mean, I would argue both of them had one hand tied behind their back in terms of the the, the financial situation there. So that's that's not good news. I know it's probably not going to affect what happens on the pitch on um, on the weekend, but it's big news as far as looking ahead to the summer, looking ahead to the prospects in terms of you know them acting like a, a well-run professional outfit frankly so uh, that's probably a probably one for another day i, I, I do I, we do we will i will get kieran Maguire on the on the program to do a celtic and and you know do a do an old firm old firm finance special <laughs> uh, but well, let's yeah. get the semi-final out of the way let's get maybe hopefully the league tied up and then you know the whole be a few weeks of um, space then to, to to start getting into that debate in the run up to summer, but I think that I think that's significant. I mean, it's significant really about the the internal health of that club. Well, I would say that with my limited knowledge of how businesses work, the CEO stepping down as the club is handing out uh, shares for uh, candy, then it's not really a good look of how the business is doing in the background. So, I would imagine. Could be some news on that in the next couple of weeks with everything that has been mentioned on the podcast before, but we'll we'll touch on that maybe with Kieran Maguire because he's probably in a better position than any of us to to touch on that. I think that's where we'll park the show then, unless there's anything else. James, anything from you? No, nope, sounds good. No American analogies before. I think people have had enough for this week. I'll save them up <laughs> for next week. Yeah, do bank them in and uh, we'll keep them coming over the next couple of weeks. Thanks to everyone in the comments for joining uh, in as always and keep the comments coming. Uh, like the video so more people can see them. And if you're not subscribed, uh, subscribe to the channel as well. You'll get notified every time we go live like this on a weekday, usually a Tuesday or a Wednesday. And you can get the podcast in all the usual podcast places. And we shall chat to you next week with a old firm review. We'll chat to you later. Good luck. Time to play the game! <laughs> it's all about the game, and how you play it! All about control! And if you can take it, all about your death! And if you can play it, it's all about pain! And who's gonna make it? I am the game, you don't wanna play me I am control, no way you can shake me I am heavy debt, no way you can pay me I am the pain, and I know you can't take me Look over your shoulder, ready to run Like a cleaning bitch from a smoking gun I am the game, and I make rules So move on out, you can die like a fool Try to figure out what my mood's gonna be Come on over, circle, why don't you ask me? Don't you forget there's a price you can pay Cause I am the game and I want to play
Play the game. 